Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Owen Ellis. What does your home smell like? I hope the question does not offend you as we begin this morning. When Abigail was just a, a little girl, a number of packages arrived in the mail for her. And I remember when one particular parcel arrived, Debbie opened it and there was a beautiful little white cardigan, knitted cardigan inside. And as Debbie picked it up, she held it close to her face and drew it in and she said, Mmm, that reminds me of home. But he come all the way from Chile and that scent on that little cardigan that had been sent with reminded her of home. It's amazing how the sense of smell is connected so often with memories. In fact, it helps us to remember things well. Do you have a favorite smell? Is there something that comes to mind when you go, mmm, I can just picture that, I can remember that smell? Something for you? The Australian bush when it starts to rain. Thanks, Leon. Freshly baked bread. bread. Who loves walking into the house and opening the door and you can smell the bread baking? I love that scent of freshly baked bread. Anyone else? Sorry? Lavender. Is that it? It reminds you of your dad. There's a special association, right? He always had some of that in the garden. Special cream that he used, and so you remember him with that scent. Anyone else? And so now fuchsias remind you that just that scent takes you back. It transports us back. There's something about the power of smell, and I believe that God understands that. You see, when he was setting up the sanctuary in the Old Testament, he gave the instructions that twice a day they were to place incense on the altar every morning and every evening. And and I imagine that that incense would continue to burn throughout the day and night and fill the sanctuary with a certain scent, a special aroma. Now imagine, if you will, if you were the priest who was working there and you spent the day in that room that is filled with this incense burning, what scent will you carry when you leave that house? It will will permeate your clothing. It will go with you. And as you walk down the street, I wonder if somebody will know that you have been in God's house that you have been with God. You see, the incense that they used in the sanctuary was a special one. The recipe was given by God, and he gave the instructions. He said, this is to be sacred. No one is to copy the recipe and make incense of this kind for their personal use. This smell is only to be associated with God. And so... The person would leave the house with the aroma, with the fragrance, with the scent 
that reminded them of God. And so I ask again the question, what does your home smell like? And very quickly today, we're going to look at seven ways that we can fill our homes with the aroma of God. Friends, whether you live alone, if you're a home of one person or whether you're part of a home of seven people, whether you're living in a dormitory or whether you're living in a large home on an acreage, it doesn't matter. These principles can apply to each one of us. Seven ways to fill our homes with the aroma of God. Shall we pray before we continue? Heavenly Father, as we consider from your word how we can fill our homes and our lives with the aroma of Christ. I pray that you'll speak to us. And Lord, if you know us individually, and if there is one thing here that you know would enrich our lives, impress us today to pursue that one thing in the week to come. Open our hearts and minds, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, light your home. How many of you, if you did not have electric lights, would wander around in the total dark at night every night in your home? You'd do something about it, right? You'd get a light. In fact, some people live in places where they experience frequent power cuts, frequent blackouts, and when you have that, there's one thing you always know where it is. What's that? That's your torch. Now, today we just pull our phone out and open up the app. And No, let's just go back a couple of years. We all know where the torch is. And in fact, if this is a frequent occurrence in your house, maybe you have a torch for every person in your home. Is there anyone who you wouldn't want to have a torch to light their way so they don't bump into anything? You know, God encourages us to light our homes. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We need the light of God's word and we need God's word in our homes. I say we each need copies of it, our own personal copy of God's word. And we need it open in order for it to shed its light into our lives. You know, coming back to the dark home analogy, if you were relying often on a flashlight, on a torch, sorry, what sort would you get? Would you just get the cheapest one in the shop or would you make sure you invested in a good one? I think if you were needing to use it often and it was important to you, you would invest in a good one. And it's worth us investing in a Bible for ourselves and finding one that really speaks to us, it's all God's word, but investing in it and making sure we have something of quality in our hands. Psalmist also has to say, sorry, I'll jump ahead there. The next point is to fortify your home. Do we live in a danger zone today? Do we live in enemy territory? We need to fortify our homes and we need to fortify our minds. How do we fortify our minds? Here's what the psalmist had to say. Psalm 119 verse 11. Your word I have hid where? In my heart that I might not sin against thee. Uh, The psalmist also said, I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is where? 
in my heart. We fortify our minds, we fortify our homes by placing in our minds, by memorizing the word of God, by memorizing God's word. You know, I, I, as I was um, preparing a few thoughts to share with you today, I, I was reading a little book called The Most Important Place on Earth, and the author, Robert Wolgamuth, he, he shares a story of when he and his wife took their youngest daughter, Julie, to go and spend a week with their parents while Robert and his wife were traveling. When they returned to collect Julie, Robert's mum said, Julie has a surprise for you. Now, they were expecting it would be one of those gifts that little children make, you know, made from pop sticks or paper plates or something like that. But as they walked into the kitchen, there was little Julie standing there in her little yellow outfit, and she began to recite, A, all we like sheep have gone astray. B, be kind one to another. C, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. D, E, F, and all the way down to Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to visit your house today. Robert and Bobby, they were just marveled at this, and and they said to Robert's mum, how did she learn this? And... Julie's grandma pulled out this 26-page scrapbook. And on each page, there were pictures that she had cut out of different things that would help Julie to remember the different words in these verses. And while Julie had spent the time sticking those pictures all over the pages, her grandma had repeated over and over and over again the words of those verses. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 reminds us with two or three simple words. Pray without ceasing or pray continuously. You know, some families have what they call prayer hooks. A prayer hook is just a little reminder to pray for someone. I'll give you an example of what might be a prayer hook for you. If you're the kind of person who recognizes different cars, and you know, you see a car driving down the road and you go, oh, that's a car like this person drives. Let me see if there's anyone in this church who's like that. If you see a roughly 2000 model white Toyota Camry going down the road, who might you think of? Say it. Howard. What a great opportunity to pray for Howard when you just go, oh, that reminds me of Howard. There was a father who was visiting his um, grown-up son's home and um, discovered that when he went to change the, the rubbish bag, the bin liner out of the bag, there in the bottom of the bin were more bin liners. Great place to store them, he thought, because you can always find them just when you need them. And so he went home and did the same. And so then when this father pulls out the rubbish bag and sees the extra empty rubbish bags in the bottom of the bin, who does he remember? His son. Who does he pray for? His son. Just little prayer hooks, things that remind us of others. That helps us to pray throughout the day. You know, sometimes we might say, well, um, what do we pray for? I mean, 
Do you find yourselves getting into your prayers and going, um, I need to pray for this person. So I say, Lord, please bless Robert. And that's it. Because other than saying, please bless, I'm not quite sure what to say. And Paul gives us a great example in Colossians chapter 1. For this reason, he said, we do not cease to pray for you. And then he lists some of the things that we can pray for each other. Some of the things that parents, we can pray for our young people. Things we can pray for our friends. We pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. In all wisdom, that you may have wisdom, that you may have spiritual understanding. How's that for a specific prayer? He continues, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, that you may be fruitful in every good work, that you may increase in the knowledge of God, be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, and a pray for patience and long-suffering. I think we all need that prayer said for us, and also for joy. Some examples from Scripture of things that we can pray for each other so we can pray specifically, not just for general blessings, but for specific blessings in people's lives. Number four, keep a weekly appointment. You know, we are so blessed to have this weekly appointment that God makes with us of the Sabbath day. Keep that weekly appointment of the Sabbath day and... Be found together somewhere as a family on Sabbath. Where? In church. You know, it's great to see some families sitting together in church today. It's lovely to see us here as families. And Hebrews 10 reminds us to, to, not, be, to not be slack in coming together. You know, Paul was really concerned. He said, some of you are not coming together. We need to come together to encourage one another. Keep this weekly appointment in order to keep the aroma of God in our home life as well. Number five. In our home, we speak two languages. I speak English, the language of my homeland, New Zealand, and I even speak it with a New Zealand accent, as you all know. Debbie speaks Spanish, the language of her homeland, Chile. And as a result, Abigail is bilingual. She can speak the language of both. Well, she's beginning to, at least. But you know, friends, I have another homeland that is not New Zealand. Debbie has another homeland that is not Chile. And we need to keep the language of that homeland, the homeland of heaven, alive in our homes. Speaking in such a way that reminds us that this world is not our home and that we ourselves are not all there is to life. Psalm 35, 28 says, And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. You know, the truth is if we, and, and I so much wish I was better at this, but if we keep our eyes open, there are so many things during the day that we can just turn our thoughts towards God 
and we can speak of him. Just the other night, around about dinner time, I looked out the door and, 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 and Debbie saw it too and there was just a beautiful sunset in the sky. We quickly got Abigail and we carried her out and we said, look at the sunset. And then because I'd been preparing for this sermon, I remembered to say, and I want to do it more often, what an amazing God we have. Look at the beautiful sunset he painted for us tonight. Just an opportunity to remember him and his goodness to us with those little reminders throughout the day. And another thing about our language and the way we speak, James challenged the people he was writing to. He said, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a place, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Good plan. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Then he gives this instruction. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Wouldn't it be good as we speak of our plans if we regularly said, God willing, this is what I'll be doing. If it's God's will, this is what I'd like to do. And to remember him, to keep him in our conversations, to continually acknowledge him. Number six, keep the family altar. In the Old Testament sanctuary, every morning and every evening, they had a special sacrifice. The morning sacrifice, the evening sacrifice. And the focus of, that, of the people at those times of the day was drawn to the temple. It's amazing the frequency that you find referenced to the morning sacrifice or the time of the evening sacrifice throughout Scripture. But it was a time when the, the people's attention would be drawn to the temple and to the altar where the sacrifice was made. And as we know, the altar there was, a, was something that pointed forward to the sacrifice of Christ. We also need to regularly take time to remember that God is our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. And he made a sacrifice for us. And so a family that has the aroma of God in the home, it's a home with a regular altar time. Daniel 6 verse 10, we read of how Daniel went to his room and he opened his, door, his window and he prayed to God in heaven. He prayed how many times per day? Three times per day. Three times a day, morning, noon and night. Psalm 55 verse 17 tells us evening and morning and at noon. Three times I will pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Now it's important for us to take those times, regular daily times, to spend time with God. Focusing on his word, recalling the stories of his word, reading, maybe even singing together, spending time memorizing scriptures together. Story in 2 Kings 23 of King Josiah reminds us of the challenges, however, when we try and maintain the altar 
or the family altar. You see, Josiah, he, he, he worked so hard to restore proper worship in God's temple. But as you read through 2 Kings 23, you find he was doing something because he discovered that there were things that were getting in the way of true worship, that were preventing the people from worshiping God. And you read time after time, he removed or he tore down something. There were many other altars that had been set up around Jerusalem and even in the house of God. And Josiah realized that there could not be true worship unless these altars, unless these distractions were removed. And friends, the the truth is that we can have things in our lives and they can even be good things. But if they get in the way of our time with God, I'm challenged by this. If they get in the way of our time with God, we've actually erected an altar an altar that needs to be torn down so we can have that altar time together with God. Number seven, decorate your home. Decorate your home. There was a time and a, and a lady was, was visiting a friend, a friend who was in deep grief because this poor lady had lost her one and only son. She's a widow She's lost her only son. She lost him at sea. He'd become a sailor and something had gone wrong and had lost his life. And that poor mother was in deep grief and she said to her friend, I don't know why he had to go to sea. I don't know why he had to become a sailor. I don't know what attracted him to the sea. We never visited the sea. We never went sailing. No one in our family was a sailor. I do not know why. Why did he have to become a sailor? Where did he get that idea from? And then this lady, during the visit, took a friend into her son's bedroom, and her friend looked up on the wall, and there it was, a painting of a ship, a tall sailing ship, braving its way through the storm. You know, what we have around us actually influences us. It may even be as silent as a picture, but it goes in and it influences us. And so I say, why don't we decorate our homes with things that lift our attention to God? There's so many different things we can put on our walls. But why not consider things that draw our attention to God? Deuteronomy chapter 6, a beautiful passage there that that begins with the words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I teach you today shall be in your hearts. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And then he says, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Jewish people have a special custom, a special little tradition where they take this particular scripture and write it on a little scroll and insert it in a small box called a mezuzah. And they affix that to the doorpost of their house and gate, literally obeying the words of this verse. 
But I think God wants us to take it seriously, maybe not literally, but seriously. I remember as just as a junior growing up, I had a poster on the wall in my bedroom. And there was a picture of a lion just sitting there peacefully and right beside it, this beautiful, magnificent, powerful creature and this verse, in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. When I see a picture of a lion like that, it reminds me of that verse. I wonder what we can do to place things around our homes that will help us to remember God, to help us remember He is our strength, to help us remember He is our salvation. He is the head of our household. And so to fill our homes with the aroma of God, seven things, light your home with the word of God, fortify your home by storing up his words in your heart, use the hotline of prayer, keep the weekly appointments. Number five, speak the language of the homeland, speaking of our father often, keep the family altar and decorate your home. My challenge to you as we close today is to think about that list and just ask God, is there something there that you'd like me to do? And commit to starting on it this week. May God bless you all. This message was made available by the Barrel Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit barreladventist.church. Oh, 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 oh,
sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to
was Matt and Josie Minicus singing Lead Us Faithfully. Before that, we heard Ben Everson sing A Fountain. And coming up next, He Who Began a Good Work in You by Christian Berdahl. He who began a good work in you He who began a good work in He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. If the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair, Or the process is long And you're losing your song in the night You can be sure that the Lord has His hand on you Safe and secure He will never abandon you You are His treasure And He finds His pleasure in you Pleading. 
Welcome to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story is not really a story. I've entitled it An Alphabet of Friends, and it's most of the friends that the Apostle Paul mentions in his various letters in the Bible uh, to show that Paul, as the subtitle of this story says, was sociable. And Paul is speaking here now. I have spent many years as a servant of Christ, the one I hurt by persecuting his followers. I now preach of him with a zeal that surprises even me. My name is Paul. While I am a Roman citizen, I am a Jew through and through. Yet the greater part of my ministry has been to the non-Jews we call Gentiles. While I have travelled much to spread the good news of salvation, of which the prophets foretold long ago, I have not been a solitary person as some people may think. While having to be strong for the Lord against overwhelming odds, my determined nature and the Holy Spirit have helped me bear what the devil has heaped upon me, I have been blessed by having the company and support of many stalwarts for Christ, both men and women. Nor have I expected to be waited on and fed and housed wherever I went. One of the blessings of growing up as a young Jewish boy is that I learned a trade, which I could always call upon to support me through life as the need arose, even if I chose another profession. That is how it was. Now I would like to tell you a little about the many people I call my dear friends. Some are closer to me than others. That is only natural, for usually true friendship takes time to mature. Given that, the love of Christ between Christian believers greatly accelerates the process. Allow me to use an alphabet you will understand in telling you about my many friends. There are quite a few listed on the letter a. Firstly, there is Achaicus. The name means belonging to Achaia, a province of the Roman Empire. He and two friends visited me at Ephesus, supplying my needs at that time, which the Church of Corinth omitted to do. Amplius. This name means enlarged. He is another Christian friend living in Rome, when I can truly say is my beloved in the Lord. Andronicus. This man's name means victorious man. He and his wife, Junia, were Christians in Rome. Not an easy place to be witnesses for Christ. Apelles. I can say without fear of contradiction that this man is truly approved in Christ. He is another Christian living in Rome. Aquila. This man's name means eagle. He watches over the flock of God from a distance as well as more closely. He and his wife Priscilla, a wonderful missionary couple, travel to many places to promote the cause of Christ. They were able to help the great preacher Apollos to an understanding of our dear Lord and Saviour. I mentioned this couple three times in my letter to the church in Rome. So does Luke, who is the author of the book, that tells of the spread of the newborn Christian movement 
in its early decades. Aristarchus. This man hails from Thessalonica. His name means best ruling. He was a great help to me in Ephesus on my third missionary journey and in my imprisonment in Rome. I can say that he was truly the best. Aristobulus. His name means well advised. And not only he, I consider his whole family to be my friends. I understand that he could well be a grandson of Herod the Great and a friend of Emperor Claudius Caesar. Asyncritus. What a wonderful name this friend of mine has, for it means incomparable. Artemis. Another friend of mine and of Christ, this man achieved what others could not. C. Claudia. This fine Christian lady played her part honourably in spreading the gospel, as did other Christian women throughout our part of the Roman Empire. Clement. Here is another name with a beautiful meaning, merciful. I urge the church at Philippi not to forget to assist Clement, who, with others, has his name written in the Book of Life. E. Epinetus, meaning praiseworthy. This man was the first Christian in the Roman province of Achaia and was living in Rome at the time I sent my letter to the church there. I called him my beloved Epinetus. Epaphroditus, another name meaning beloved. This friend brought gifts to me when I was imprisoned in Rome. We thought we would lose him while he was with us as he became very ill. Thankfully, under God's blessing, he recovered and took my letter to the Philippian church. Epaphras, meaning, again, beloved. Sharing my imprisonment in Rome, this friend of mine, a dear fellow servant, helped found the church at Colossae. He brought good news about that church to me here in Rome. Erastus, this friend's name means Chamberlain. In fact, he was a prominent official in Corinth, being the city treasurer at the time of accepting the gospel. Eubulus, this man's name means well advised, and how appropriate, for I found him to be a wise counsellor and energetic worker in the cause of Christ. F. Fortunatus. As you may have thought, this man's name means fortunate. He is well named, for he has found the Saviour, and I am fortunate to have him as a stalwart for Christ in the church where he serves. G. Gaius. I very much depend on men like Gaius and his family. He has provided a home away from home for me where I stayed when writing my letter to the church at Rome. He and some other stalwarts for Christ accompanied me through the province of Achaia. They then went on ahead to Troas, where I met him a little later. H. Hermas. This man was in the group whom I caught up with at Troas. Human companionship is important, and I could depend on Hermas for his friendship. Hermes. The same can be said for this man as for Hermas. God certainly blessed me with men I could depend upon. Herodian. A relative of mine, one whom Herod freed from slavery, 
and now he is a happy slave of Jesus Christ. J. Jason. This friend of mine suffered much for the gospel. In his hometown of Thessalonica, he was dragged before the city officials for having shared hospitality with us in his home. Suffering seems to be a companion of those who fervently follow Christ. Julia. This dear lady, a close relative of Philologicus, was one who had become a Christian in Rome, and I made sure to send my greetings to her in my letter to that church. L. Linus, one of four Christians in Rome who sent their greetings to Timothy when I wrote to him a second time. Keeping in touch with and encouraging each other is an important part of what it means to be a Christian. Lucius. This man was a close associate of mine when I wrote to the church at Rome, and he made sure I sent his greetings to the church there. Luke. What can I say about this man? My personal physician, friend, travelling companion, and one who supported me in many ways. Anyone would be glad to count Luke as a close friend. Not only did he write one of the Gospels, he also recorded much of the progress of the Christian Church in its early years. A crown of life surely awaits this man. M. Mary. Mary was a bright, shining light in the Church at Rome. She was given a very popular name among Jewish women. I have to admit, it is not easy remembering all the Marys I know. N. Narcissus. I came to know this man from a previous contact, so when I wrote to the church at Rome, I made sure I sent my greetings to him and all his family who helped to keep the church alive and vibrant. Nereus. Among the many greetings I sent to Rome, I made sure I did not overlook this man and his sister who deserved encouragement from one of the Lord's apostles. Oh, Olympus. This man has a strong Greek heritage. Like many fellow Christians, he had to contend with much opposition when he accepted Christ as his saviour. A brief mention of his name in my letter to the Roman church was something I did not want to omit. Onesimus. His was an unusual case. In fact, the only one of its kind in my experience in travelling far and wide preaching the gospel of Christ. Having escaped from his master Philemon, he had made his way to Rome, not realising that his contact with me would change his life, and perhaps Philemon's too. He accepted Christ under my ministry, and we became good friends, brothers in Christ, in the short time we knew each other. I was obliged to send him back to his master, but not before writing to Philemon, admonishing him to accept Onesimus, not as a returning runaway slave, but as a brother in Christ. I reminded Philemon that he owed me much in bringing him the gospel, so this small gesture in accepting Onesimus was surely an easy thing for him to do. I'm glad to say that what started as an unhappy event ended in reconciliation between a master and his servant. P. Petrobus. This man's name means life of the father. Of course, this could be taken in two ways. 
either his life came from his father, which it did, or he was a great enjoyment to his father. I hope the latter applied as well as the former as this young man grew up. Another man in Rome to whom I wanted to send my warm greetings. Persis. This woman's name is derived from Persian. Her life as a slave has not been easy. However, in time, she was also a diligent worker for the Lord. In my letter to the Roman Church, I described her as beloved, for that is what she surely is. Philologus. With a name meaning fond of learning, this man certainly learnt much since he heard the gospel. He did not stop there, though, for he spread the gospel wherever he went. He is my kind of friend. Fleegan. This man's name means burning. To be frank, I'm not sure why a parent will give a son this name, but now that he is a Christian, he is burning in his seal for God. So I made sure to send my greetings to him at Rome. Phoebe. This lady's name means radiant or pure. She was a deaconess of the church at St. Crea, an eastern port of Corinth. When she made the journey to Rome on one occasion, she took a recommendation to the church there from me. She was significant in that she was described as a helper, or prostatus in Greek, which in the language means patroness. A person in such a position was regarded as someone who protected people who did not have civic rights. Roman law recognised such people as having status in the community. I do not know anything of her personal circumstances, but it appears to me she was a woman of some wealth. Pudens. When I wrote to Timothy on the second occasion, Pudens made sure I sent his greetings to my young friend. Anyone who was a friend of Timothy was certainly a friend of mine. He was another of the saints at Rome who laboured under difficult circumstances. Q. Quartus. A Roman name meaning fourth. He was another man vitally interested in the progress of the church at Rome. He made sure I sent his greetings to the church there to let them know that others in the Church of Christ were thinking of and praying for them. R. Rufus. You may have guessed that his name means red. He and his mother were stalwarts in the church in Rome, and I did not want to forget them, especially as I regarded Rufus as chosen especially by the Lord. S. Secundus. This Roman name means second, which was clear to all who lived in our time. This man from Thessalonica accompanied me on a journey I took through Macedonia to the province of Achaia. Sopater, meaning of good parentage. He was the son of Pyrrhus from the city of Berea, and along with other Bereans was a diligent student of the scriptures. Sosopata, saving of the father. This could mean that he was the saving of his father, who at least had a son. I regard him as though a relative of mine, and he was also keen to send his greetings to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome. Stachus. I regard this man as my dear friend, another Christian in Rome, whose name strangely means an ear of grain. Stephanus. 
This name means crown bearer. How appropriate, for I believe he will wear the crown of life one day. I had the privilege of personally baptising this man and his family. All others I brought to Christ were baptised by my helpers. T. Tertius. This name means third. He was a most trusted friend and companion. It was he who wrote out my letter to the church at Rome. I would not trust this important work to one in whom I did not have complete confidence. Timothy, one who reverences God. I really do not know where to start in telling you about this dear young friend and fellow preacher of the gospel. How this young man grew into the man he is, I am sure is largely due to the godly mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. While his mother was a Jew, his father was not. I first met Timothy at Lystra, when he was already a committed Christian. I immediately saw in this young man potential to be a strong worker for Christ, and I encouraged him in this direction. In fact, I invited him to be my assistant and travelling companion. We went on many journeys together. He accompanied me to the regions of Phrygia, Galatia, Troas, Philippi, Thessalonica and Berea, and later to Corinth. Then he went with me to Ephesus. Sometime later, Timothy visited Macedonia with Erastus. When I was in prison in Rome, I sent for Timothy to come to see me as soon as possible. Timothy is my dearly loved son in the Lord. Trophimus. This man's name means nourishing. How appropriate for his Christian witness is surely a means of nourishing the church. He, along with others, accompanied me to the Roman province of Asia after I had decided to travel through Macedonia following three months spent in Greece. Tryphena and Trophosa, sisters by birth and sisters in the faith, both their names meaning luxuriant. They constantly work to further the cause of Christ and I count it an honour to call them my friends. Tychicus, with a name meaning happy, this man's happiness was complete when he found the Saviour. He developed into a strong and faithful minister for our Lord and was so trustworthy that he carried my letters to the churches at Colossae and Ephesus. You, Urbanus, we need more of this type of person in the faith. His name means polite. He was truly my fellow worker for Christ in the growing church at Rome. Zed. Zenus. When I wrote to Titus, I asked him to send Apollos, the successful evangelist, on his planned itinerary and also a fine Christian lawyer named Zenus. What an asset he was to the fledgling church of Christ. These and other friends helped to sustain and encourage me in the spreading the gospel. In their own way, they were just as successful as more prominent evangelists such as Peter, myself, and the other apostles. I value their loyalty and support. I am sure the Holy Spirit will speed on the work of the gospel through men and women such as those I have mentioned. Maranatha. You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. 
If you have any comments or questions or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.